Welcome to Bridal Love Ministries podcast with Poppy Hopeflish teaching on Song of Songs. Good evening to you all. I greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus Messiah, our Bridegroom and King. In the last session, we did chapter 8 verses 1 to 7. So let's start tonight by reading and listening the word of the Lord as written in chapter 8 of Song of Songs. Oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I should find you outside, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to instruct me. I would cause you to drink of spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Balhaman. He leased the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who keep its fruit two hundred. You who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. In verses 6 and 7, he says to her, she must seal herself with him upon her heart and her arm. This seal is the Ten Commandments summed up by Jesus into two. The seal upon your heart, beloved, is to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength. The first commandment. And the seal upon your arm is to love your neighbor as yourself. The second commandment. How good and perfect a word for such a time as this, that we must only love the Lord and love our neighbor as ourselves. We are so unsure of what is happening in the world, especially with the coronavirus thing. How long will this thing last? How long will we be in lockdown? And how will we and our country and the world ever recover from the results of all this? 
and you keep worrying and thinking about these things, and you worry about the rollout of the 5G and its effects upon us and our children, and you worry about the future, but only He knows the future. Beloved, if you keep mulling about these questions, you are sealing yourself with it. And another thing, don't go back to your past. If you keep going back to your past, you are sealing you with your past. You are a new creation, remember. Old things have passed. So instead of sealing yourself with all these things, let us seal ourselves with Jesus Christ tonight, the seal upon our hearts, the seal for the ages to come. That is our hope. Seal yourself with Jesus, with who He is and what you've come to know about Him during your study of Song of Songs. Seal yourself with what you've come to know of Him through your personal walk with Him. Think and focus upon that, and you will have peace now and in the ages to come and forever. But for the unrighteous and the evil, for the evildoers, there will be no peace, not now or in the time of the reign of the Antichrist, a time allotted by God. Neither will they have peace in the new world order. Neither during the thousand-year peace reign, and neither in eternity, never ever any peace for the unrighteous. But if we keep checking our seal on our heart and on our arm, we will have peace that will increase now and forever. That was the first thing he asked of the bride, that she must seal herself. The second thing he asks in chapter 8 is he asks the bride to not allow many waters and floods of problems to quench or drown your love for him. Do you feel your problems are overwhelming you tonight? Then give it to him. Cast your burdens unto Jesus. He cares for you. Lift Jesus higher than your mountain. And in doing so, you will stamp Satan lower. Last time we ended with the persecuted church, who knows that persecution always brings purification. And the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Jesus' advice to us tonight, beloved, is to count the cost before you choose to follow him again tonight. Let's look at Luke 14.28 For which of you wishing to build a farm building does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see whether he has sufficient means to finish it? We must sit down and calculate the cost because the cost is increasing. Do you see that? Do you feel that? Do you have sufficient means to finish this race, beloved? That's what it's about. If not, then get into the Word. Get into the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
It's the same thing as, have you got enough oil? Mature believers know that no sacrifice we could make could ever compare with what we have received from Him through His sacrifice. God will pour out and is pouring out mature bridal love for the bridegroom before persecution will hit the West. If you are up to date with the news, it can't be far away. But God promised us He will increase the pouring out in our hearts of love for His Son. If you are already experiencing this kind of love, it's only by His grace. It has nothing whatsoever to do with your type of personality or your emotions. I've often heard this said, Oh, but she is a very emotional person. Or, you know, that's that kind of personality. I haven't got that kind of personality. When your passion for your bridegroom offends them. Do not take those words. What is happening in you and what is increasing in you, whether you understand it or not, the fact that you want to cry for no reason at all, knowing when you hear his name, you want to cry. When you watch a gospel movie, you want to cry. When you watch The Chosen, you want to cry. It's the love in your heart for your bridegroom that's increasing. And this is a sovereign work of God. And it's your response to his invitation. And you know what? God is searching for those who will feel like that who will allow themselves to have these emotions and who will then challenge others to return to their first love. Because that's what's happening with us all. We are revisiting our first love with a new passion. We are sealing our hearts with Him constantly, renewing it. And remember He said He's looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. He is also looking for a bride whom he can anoint to impart this love of God to others wherever she or he goes. Are you willing? Do you hear him knocking on the door of your heart? Listen, he's saying, my love, stop looking back at the mistakes and the failures of your past. Stop focusing on your weaknesses. Stop focusing on your cares and worries about the future. Otherwise, these things will become the seal on your heart. Guard against ambition and a desire for approval, lest that becomes the seal upon your heart. Choose me, your bridegroom, as the seal upon your heart. The bride takes his plea seriously. She has already received a reward. It is a fiery, unquenchable love for her bridegroom. She has the first commandment. So she starts with the second commandment in verse 8 when she says, We have a little sister and she has no breasts. Do you see? Not I have, we have. Their numbers are increasing. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? The bride knows that the little sister will also have her day of betrothal to the bridegroom. So she has already started with intercession for her and discipling her. Jesus called us his brothers and sisters in Matthew 12, remember? He called us that because 
we have a responsibility towards our younger brothers and sisters in Christ. They are often spiritually insecure. They easily sink under the pressure. There is little faith and much fear. They lose hope easily and have not yet developed an all-consuming passion for the bridegroom. The bride must patiently feed them with the word of God, slowly, little by little, as we read in 1 Corinthians 3, and she must be mindful that they are still immature in terms of character, discernment, wisdom, perseverance, and they are easily overwhelmed by their problems. The bride must be careful not to judge them or become impatient with them. The bride received the heart of the father, therefore she is so concerned about the little sister without breasts. He answers her, If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. That is to strengthen her with the armor of God, and silver is for redemption. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. That is also to be strengthened, to be fortified. The cedar speaks of wood. Wood speaks of dying to self. The wall speaks of protection, like that of a city. You see, the Father expects us, me and you, beloved, to be a wall of protection around the new babes in Christ, which means discipleship. As soon as the wall is up, progress can start. And as long as the little sister or brother agrees to follow the road to spiritual maturity, just like the bride, the bridegroom will equip him or her himself, if she remains faithful, if you remain faithful. Let's see how Paul worked with Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 to 4. He did the same with him. He says, and the instructions which you have heard from me, along with many witnesses, transmit and entrust as a deposit to reliable and faithful men and women who will be competent and qualified to teach others also. And take with me your share of the hardships and suffering which you are called to endure as a good first-class soldier of Christ Jesus. For no soldier, when in service, gets entangled in the enterprises of civilian life. His aim is to satisfy and please the one who enlisted him. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, Pattern yourselves after me. Follow my example as I imitate and follow Christ the Messiah. I tonight want to say to you, pattern yourselves after me. Follow my example as I imitate and follow Christ the Messiah. And tonight when you anoint yourselves, I want to send you out with this. Go and do it in your groups. Speak to them, WhatsApp them, whatever. But be a pattern for them to follow you as you imitate and follow Christ the Messiah. It's difficult times we're living in, but I praise God. The discernment is also increasing. 
people will not follow your example if they cannot see you following Christ the Messiah. We're fed up and sick of following human examples. I want to follow someone whom I can see and know and hear he and she imitates and follow Christ the Messiah. You see, then, then we will all learn from each other, which was God's intent, that the body will build up the body. The process remains the same. First you are a baby protected by a bridal wall. Then you develop into a bride until you yourself become a wall of protection for others. The wall is of silver, which represents redemption, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well, without which protection is impossible. That's why we did spiritual warfare and the armor of God. And these gifts are powerful to cast down strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10. He says if she's called to be a door, it means that she becomes an entrance for others, an instrument of evangelism to lead others to Christ. The door will then be enclosed, fortified with boards of cedar. Again, the progression is simple. The little one does not have breasts yet, but Jesus already sees her as a wall or a door. He declares it over her. This reminds me, I spoke to someone last night who also is doing the podcast and somehow a friend he knew who prayed for him for many years to get saved. Then he got saved and his friend had lost his first love. He got sort of halfway, one leg in the world and one leg at church. And he, the one who was prayed for, then couldn't believe that his friend who prayed for him to get saved now is not hot anymore but lukewarm. And then he sent him the podcast and his friend phoned him and he said, I don't know what's happening to me. I'm listening to the podcast and I'm crying and crying and crying. And then my friend could say to him, you are returning to your first love. I wonder how many this is going to happen to. I know many of you send these to people and groups and I don't know where the message is going. But I really believe this message is for the bride. For all those who were hot but became lukewarm to return to that first love. This message is not for the world. It's for the bride. When Paul speaks of evangelism as a door of faith in Colossians 4.3, we see, he said, At the same time, pray for us also that God may open a door to us for the word, for the gospel, to proclaim the mystery concerning Christ the Messiah. And then he adds, It's like, by the way, on account of which I am in prison. Beloved, are you ready for that? Remember he said, Count the cost. It could happen. It could happen with South Africa, the way things are going. don't want to say too much. You know what I'm talking about. So the boards of cedar speaks of dying to self and this gives off the pleasant fragrance of Christ. Whether you're a door or a wall, if you're wondering about that, it actually brings us to the fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4.11. 
and his gifts were varied. He himself, Jesus, appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, which is special messengers, some prophets, they are inspired preachers and expounders of the word, some evangelists, they are preachers of the gospel and or traveling missionaries, some pastors, the shepherds of his flock, and some teachers. We live in a time where the titles is just, phew, people earn themselves these titles. But it's not about the titles. Actually, he wants us all to be able to do any one of those. The bride has an apostolic anointing because she starts things. She's a forerunner. She breaks new ground. But she also needs to be prophetic. An inspired preacher, that's what the word says, and an expounder of the word. So what it means is you've got to be a prophetic preacher. You expound the word, but you also bring the prophetic meaning. Then you've got a prophetic anointing. Some evangelists, they preach the gospel. We all need to preach the gospel, so we all need to be an evangelist at heart. Some travel, some don't. Some pastors... The bride is a pastor. She shepherds his flock. And some are teachers. Exactly. What was Paul? Never heard him say, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, or I'm a teacher. He just says, I'm in prison. On account of which I am in prison. Because I'm proclaiming the mystery concerning Christ, the Messiah. You should know by now, if you have one or two or even a combination of these that makes you excited where your heart lies, then the anointing on that is stronger than on the others. Don't be fooled by what's happening in the church today with all these titles. Just pray to God that you will be a shepherd where you need to be a shepherd, that you will be prophetic where you need to give a prophetic word, that you will have an apostolic anointing when you need to start something, that you will be a pastor and a preacher and any one of these five whenever and however he wants to use you. The bride remembers her own humble beginnings. It was the bridegroom's continual unconditional love and compassion that helped her grow into this mature bride, warrior bride that she has become. Therefore she can now declare with confidence well, I'm a wall and my breast like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. The bride realizes at last that it is through him, through the seal that he has set on her heart and on her arm, that she has become spiritually mature. She has not attained perfection, neither have I and neither have you. But we have rather a position from which we are able to help protect, disciple and teach others. We've reached that. Amen. She's therefore speaking what she knows to be God's thoughts concerning herself. She is able, like Paul, to tell the young ones to follow her example. And she did with the daughters of Jerusalem. New believers who are growing in the faith are shielded from the enemy's attacks by the bride's protective wall. The stones and arrows that were meant for them hits the bride, it hits her wall. 
but she can bear it because she has committed herself to the protection of the little flock, cell, group, whatever you have been entrusted with. And she imitates Paul's example in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7 to 12. Let's read that. And I want to pray this over you. We behaved gently when we were among you, like a devoted mother or father, nursing and cherishing her own children. So, being thus tenderly and affectionately desirous of you, we continued to share with you not only God's good news, the gospel, but we also shared our own lives as well. For you, beloved, listeners, and all those who've done Song of Songs on every camp or course, you have become very dear to us. For you recall our hard toil and struggles, brethren, and we worked night and day and plied our trade in order not to be a burden to any of you for our support. Now I'm going to add, though many of you support us willingly because you want to, and for that we want to thank and honor you tonight. And you did this while we proclaimed the glad tidings, the gospel of God to you. So you are our witnesses, yes, and God also is our witness. How unworldly and upright and blameless was our behavior towards you, believers, who adhered to and trusted in and relied on our Lord Jesus Christ. I trust this could be said of us, of the team of Bridal Love Ministries. We try to be unworldly, upright and blameless in our behavior. You are our only witnesses apart from God. And you know how as a father dealing with his children, we used to exhort each of you personally, stimulating and encouraging and charging you to live your lives worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and the glory and blessedness into which true believers will enter after Christ's return. Beloved, I don't know how to say this. I don't want to sound melodramatic. But the Lord said to me in the beginning, do every session as if it is your last chance to say anything to the bride. So, Tonight, I want to say, if this is my last time to say this, I want to exhort each of you personally, stimulating and encouraging and charging you. Beloved, live your lives worthy of God, who called you into his kingdom. And remember the glorious blessedness that we will enter into after Christ's return. Her breasts are like towers, and it refers to the abundance with which she can feed those inside her city walls. She knows that in him she is a strong city, with the capacity of a watchtower to protect others. She has been compared to a tower three times now. Chapter 4 verse 4, her neck was like an ivory tower, remember with the shields of the battles she won against the enemy. In chapter 7 verse 4, her neck was like a tower and her nose was like a tower. 
because of the spiritual warfare that she can smell deception a mile away. And now her breasts are like towers. Her breasts are filled with milk for the young babies and with honey. Remember, chapter 7, she was the palm tree and you wanted to go up to the palm tree, take a hold of the bronzes and its clusters. Those clusters are dates and dates produce honey, sweet, sweet honey. He has increased her capacity every time. And the bride is aware that only he could make this possible. She is now RFA. That's the short version for Philippians 4 verse 13. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. What a powerful verse. You can memorize it like this. I am RFA and ETA. I am RFA ready for anything. ETA equal to anything. How is this possible? Through Christ who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency, not in my own, in his, in his sufficiency. The bride has found peace because she's discovered the purpose for which she was created. This is the only calling that will bring full satisfaction and fulfillment. The bridegroom looks at her. He is satisfied and pleased with his work. And he remembers the first day when he and Father created mankind and saw that it was good. He now has that same look in his eyes as he look at you, outcast bride, that he has transformed into a warrior bride. And in his eyes she read, You are good. You look good. The bride is at peace with herself and at rest under his gaze. Even though she does not always find that same approval in the eyes of others, she is still criticized from time to time, but she pays no attention to this. If she did, she would lose her focus. She would lose her dove's eyes. Jesus taught you to develop dove's eyes, and as long as you remain focused on him, you will keep functioning in that which God has called you to do when why, how, whatever. You just do the next thing he asks you to do. And you're walking in your calling. In verse 8, 11, chapter 8, verse 11, she says, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He leased the vineyard to keepers, and everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. Solomon represents Jesus, and the vineyard is the church. Baal Haman is the Hebrew term for father of many. God speaks of Israel as his vineyard in Isaiah 5, 1-7. But it is also a reference to the worldwide church of Christ. Remember, Father God's wife is Israel, Old Testament. Jesus' wife, bride, is the bride, is the church, New Testament. 
we the church must teach every single believer to God, cultivate and maintain his or her own vineyard, his or her intimacy for Jesus, with Jesus. For this is exactly what has been stolen from him. Jesus tells it in a parable of a man who rented out his vineyard and departed to a far country in Matthew 21:33. He said, listen to another parable. There was a master, Jesus, of a house who planted a vineyard of intimacy and he put a hedge around it to protect it and he dug a wine vat in it in expectance of the wine that will come and he built a watchtower to keep watch over her. Then he let it out for rent to tenants and he went into a far country. He went to his father's house. This refers to Jesus' ascension to the Father in heaven and we the church are the tenants. And we await his return when he will reward each person according to his works. Matthew sixteen twenty seven. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory and majesty and splendor of his Father with his angels. And then he will render account and he will reward every man in accordance with what he has done. Revelation Chapter 2 and 3, we read all about the rewards of the seven churches. And in Revelation 22 verse 12, he says, Behold, I'm coming soon, and I shall bring my wages and rewards with me to repay and render to each one just what his own actions and his own work merit. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 8, this is to remind us, And he who plants... And he who waters are equal, one in the same aim, one in aim of the same importance and esteem. No difference whether you plant or water, you've got the same importance and esteem in God's eyes. Yet, each shall receive his own reward and wages according to his own labor. And that speaks about your heart. What was in your heart? while you were doing this work. Here we see our work in the king's vineyard differs. But it has the same importance in God's eyes. One is not more important than another, no matter how many titles you may give yourself. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18. Just to wrap this up, what is this all about? We're back at the rapture. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud cry of summons, with the shout of an archangel, and with a blast of the trumpet of God. These three sounds create much power and could create the earthquake. And those who have departed this life in Christ will rise first. After the earthquake. Then we, the living ones who remain on earth, shall simultaneously be caught up along with the resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so always through the eternity of the eternities we shall be with the Lord. 
Therefore, I want to comfort and encourage you with these words tonight. That's what it's all about. Then he says, still in verse 11, Everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. A thousand pieces of silver represents the fact that God has given every believer certain gifts and talents for which each of us will have to give an account. You see, this is not for the world. It's for the bride. We've been walking with him. He's been working on you. He's been maturing you. He's given you gifts and talents. But you'll have to give account of it. As we read in Luke 12, 31 to 48. 31 to 48, yeah. Only aim at and strive for and seek his kingdom. And all these things shall be supplied to you also. So do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give us the kingdom. So that's why we aim at it, we strive for it, we seek his kingdom. And the other things he will, he will supply. Verse 33, sell what you possess, give donations to the poor, provide yourselves with purses and handbags that do not grow old, an unfailing and inexhaustible treasure in the heavens where no thief comes near and no moth destroy. What is a purse and a handbag that does not grow old? It's a new wine skin for new wine. And we will have our treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 35. Keep your loins girded and your lamps burning. Remember the five wise and five foolish virgins. Be like men who are waiting for their master to return home for the marriage feast. So that when he returns from the wedding and comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are those servants whom the master finds awake and alert and watching when he comes. Truly I say to you, he, the master, he will gird himself and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. Can you imagine? Jesus wants to serve you. The same way he served his disciples and washed their feet. Verse 38. If he comes in the second watch before midnight or the third watch after midnight and he finds them so, blessed, happy, fortunate and to be envied are those servants when he finds them busy. But of this be assured. If the householder had known at what time the burglar was coming, he would have been awake and alert and watching and would not have permitted his house to be dug through and broken into. Just so, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour and a moment when you do not anticipate it. And then Peter said in verse 41, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all alike? We can identify with this. We want to say, is this for us, the bride, or is this for the world, Lord? And of course, Jesus did not answer him directly. He said, Who then is the faithful steward 
the wise man whom his master will set over those in his household service to supply them their allowance of food at the appointed time? Who is he? Blessed, happy, and to be envied is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he arrives. Truly I tell you, he will set him in charge over all his possessions. You see, if you've been faithful to those people, those sisters without breasts, those young in faith, whether it's one, two, three persons, one-on-one, whether it was a little group, whether it was a church, it's all the same to the Lord. Were you busy doing that when he arrived? Then he will set you in charge over all his possessions and his household. And that speaks of the peace reign, of course, when we will rule and reign with him. That's part of your reward. Verse 45. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is late in coming, and he begins to strike the men servants and the maids, and did eat and drink, and he got drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and will punish him and cut him off and assign his lot with the unfaithful. This verse is very important. Because this servant was not part of the unfaithful. He was a servant of his master. But he became lukewarm. And he strike the man servants and the maids and he started worrying about eating and drinking and got drunk but he was a servant of the master and now his lot is with the unfaithful those who never knew Christ that servant who knew his master's will it's in verse 47 you should highlight it that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready and did not act as he would wish him to act, he shall be beaten with many lashes. And he who did not know and did things worthy of a beating shall be beaten with few lashes. See the difference between 47 and 48? The servant who worked for his master, who knew his master's will, he will be beaten with many lashes. But the person in the world, the one who did not know, he did not know the master. And he also did things worthy of a beating. He shall be beaten with few lashes. Why? For everyone to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And of him to whom men entrust much, they will require and demand all the more. What is the answer to Peter's question? Lord, for who is this parable? Of course it was for the disciples and for us. For much has been given to you, beloved, through the study of Song of Songs, through the study of Revelation. Therefore much will be required of you. Let's also read Matthew 21, verse 33 to 44. Listen to another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a hedge around it and dug a wine vat in it and built a watchtower. Then he let it out for rent to his tenants and went into another country. 
When the fruit season drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his share of the fruit. But the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first time, and they treated them the same way. All the prophets of the Old Testament who proclaimed Christ were treated like this. Verse 37 Finally he sent his own son to them, saying, They will respect and give heed to my son. It was Jesus, the Messiah. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and have his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes back, what will he do to those tenants? They, the disciples, said, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants of such character that they will give him the fruits promptly in their season. Jesus asked him, Have you never read in the scriptures the very stone which the builders rejected and threw away? has become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. I tell you, for this reason the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce the fruits of it. To the disciples this must have been hard words. He's saying the kingdom of God will be taken away from the Jews and given to a people, the nations, the Gentiles, who will produce much fruit. And whoever falls on this stone, Jesus, will be broken to pieces. But he on whom the stone falls will be crushed to powder. Every believer's gifts, talents and abilities are different. So therefore the fruit will also differ. However, the source of each one will always be the Holy Spirit. Jesus will reward you, beloved, According to the measure of what you did? No. According to the measure of your faithfulness. Not according to the measure of your gifts or talents. Often we think I only got one talent or three talents. I haven't got five. The other one's got ten. That's not what the Lord's going to look at. He's going to look at your faithfulness with your one or your three or your five or your ten. The 1,000 silver pieces represent a full produce. Jesus could deliver the full produce of the harvest because he himself was the seed that fell into the ground and he rent his vineyard to us with the expectation of a full produce. He rented to the church with the expectation of a full produce. We strive to hear him say at the end of everything, Well done! My good and faithful servant, you upright one, your honorable, admirable, faithful servant, Matthew twenty-five twenty-one, you have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. I will put you in charge of much. His household, his kingdom in the peace reign. Enter into and share the joy, the delight and the blessedness which your master enjoys. He will reward you with heavenly treasures. That's why he says in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Do not gather and heap up and store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust and worm consume and destroy, and where thieves break through and steal. O beloved, gather and heap up and store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust nor worm consume and destroy, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Silver represents holiness and redemption. The bride understands. She says, verse 12, My own vineyard is ever before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who keep its fruit, two hundred. The bride's road to spiritual maturity started when she realized that her own vineyard had been neglected. Chapter 1, verse 6. Now she takes up responsibility for her own vineyard, aware that she will have to give account of it before the Father. 1 Corinthians 3:11-15 For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is already laid which is Jesus Christ the Messiah the anointed one But if anyone builds upon the foundation whether it be with gold silver precious stone wood hay or straw the work of each one will become plainly and openly known and shown for what it is for the day of Christ after the rapture, when our works will be tested, the day of Christ will disclose and declare it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test and critically appraise the character and worth of the work each person has done. If the work which any person has built on this foundation, any product of his efforts, whatever, is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and his work survives this test, he will get his reward. But if any person's work is burnt up under the test, he will suffer the loss of it, losing his reward, though he himself will be saved, but only as one who has passed through the fire. See, beloved, that's why this message is for the bride. You must stay cooking hot for Jesus. Otherwise, you will lose your reward. And we've seen what the reward is about. A vignette is worth a thousand silver pieces. The bride is saying that Jesus will receive her full produce. She has applied her gifts, her finances and her talents for the advancement of the kingdom. And she has the self-confidence to say it because he says so. It was the same with Enoch when God declared that he was satisfied and pleased with him. Enoch said that the same about himself, and then God came and took him away. Jesus, in Matthew three sixteen and 17, received the same testimony, where the Father said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. His Father was rejoicing over him, and now he is rejoicing over his bride. The bride also remembers to honor those who helped her in her process of growth with 200 pieces of silver. They are the only ones who are allowed to keep the vineyard's fruit. The bridegroom responds to his bride's promise that he will receive his full produce, which is her voice. And her voice is intimacy. That's why he wants a thousand. The bride honor those who helped her with the 200. Beloved, do not put those who helped you to grow spiritually on a pedestal. 
they will fall. But do honor them that they helped you grow. On the other hand, when you've helped others, also do not allow them to give you a thousand of the vineyard. Do not allow them to put you on a pedestal. If you do that, you are stealing from God's glory and you'll fall. Verse 13, he asks her, You who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. The gardens that he speaks of are actually the bride's vineyard. It also includes other gardens, but there's only one vineyard and one final harvest. She works in the gardens and they represent different sections in Christ's church. She loves to come here regularly and she does not focus only on those parts which are familiar to her. She's not in isolation anymore as was the case in chapters 1 to 4. He calls her the one who loves to dwell in the gardens of the king. And the friends who listen to her voice are those who receive ministry from her. They love to listen to her teaching because she speaks with authority and wisdom. They desire the quality of her ministry in their lives because they have been following her since chapters 3 to 7. And they respect her ministry by listening to her and she listens to them. And this brings unity in the vineyard of the king when the body ministers to the body. The bride's prayer in chapter 1, Draw me away with you and let us run together, has been answered. She's running with the ministry he has given her, and she has a position of honor in the body of Christ. In Hebrew, running also means dance, so she's running and dancing with him in the ministry he has given her. So the bridegroom's final request to hear her voice. He asked it in beginning, in chapter 2 verse 14, Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. O beloved, praise and worship him, intercede, speak words of life, do it all with your voice. He listens to our words. The bride spends much time in the garden, teaching and encouraging her friends and the daughters of Jerusalem, knowing that God listens to her. And she knows she will have to give account of every word she speaks. She must not allow criticism, problems or disappointments to silence her. Remember, beloved, the enemy will do anything to silence you. But your voice must continue to rise as an offering of praise. The bridegroom now introduces her to his young ones. They know her voice and enjoy listening to her. He warns her again not to become so carried away with her work in the gardens that she becomes forgetful about him in her own vineyard. He says, keep going in your ministry, my love, but remember to always return to me. The bride hears him and she's at last quick to respond. She says in verse 14, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. There is an intense yearning in every bride for ultimate intimacy with Christ, where we will see him as he is, as we see in Romans 8. The whole chapter of Romans 8 speaks about that. Nature also waits for the unveiling 
of the sons of God and the bride of Christ. The bride knows that the hunger in her heart can never be fully satisfied until sin and all that is perishable have been destroyed. She immediately responds by asking for a visitation from him to her and to the church. She longs for this to happen quickly and soon. She knows this visitation of the bridegroom will cause the church to walk in the same level of intimacy that she does. She is also referring to his second coming, the rapture. She longs for it and she warns others accordingly that he will soon appear. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 to 12 And to recompense you who are so distressed and afflicted by granting you relief and rest along with us, your fellow sufferers, when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flame of fire. You see, beloved, he knows we are distressed. He knows we are afflicted. He longs to grant us not only relief and rest, which we would so enjoy, but he also wants to recompense us. And that will happen when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flame of fire. Verse 8. To deal out retribution, chastisement and vengeance upon those who do not know or perceive or become acquainted with God and upon those who ignore and refuse to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Such people will pay the penalty and suffer the punishment of everlasting ruin, of destruction and perdition and external exclusion and banishment from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Verse 10 When He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day, He will be made more glorious in His consecrated people, and He will be marveled at and admired in His glory reflected in all who have believed. That's me and you, beloved, who have adhered to, who have trusted in, and who have relied on Him. Because our witnessing among you was confidently accepted and believed and confirmed in your lives. See, beloved, we cannot just go out and try to save souls. We must also tell them why they must be saved, what they will miss. Verse 11, and I want to pray this over you as well. With this in view, beloved, I constantly pray for you, that our God may deem and count you worthy of your calling and his ever gracious purpose of goodness and with power that it may be complete in your every particular work of faith. Your faith, which is the leaning of your whole human personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in his power, his wisdom and goodness. Remember the bride came out of the wilderness leaning heavenly on her beloved. It is a leaning of your whole human personality on God. Not just parts, your whole personality on God. Leaning in the everlasting arms. In an absolute trust and confidence in His power, His wisdom and His goodness. And thus may the name of our Lord Jesus Christ be glorified. And it will become more glorious through me and you 
and in you. And may you also be glorified in him, according to the grace, the favor and blessing of our God, Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. What a precious promise, beloved. On the other hand, 1 Corinthians 16.22 says, And if anyone does not love the Lord, does not have a friendly affection for him, and is not kindly disposed to him, he shall be accursed. Our Lord will come. Maranatha. It's the same cry of Maranatha which means come quickly. In Revelation 22, 70-20, we hear the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Bride calls Jesus, Come and be with me. She began by asking for His kisses, then He see you. Now she asks only Him. The cross of Christ delivered us from a spiritual wilderness. The final coming of Jesus will deliver us from an earthly wilderness. And it's this longing for His coming that helps us to stay focused and it is also our anchor of hope. Hebrews 6 verse 10, 17 to 19. It's about the anchor of hope. The mountains of spices represent a place of unbroken fellowship with Jesus. This is what the bride yearns for most. It was also Job's desire to see him as he is. It speaks of the age to come, when all pain and all tears and all sickness and death will cease to exist, because the old has gone and the new has come. Job 19, 25-27 Job said, For I know that my Redeemer and Vindicator lives, and at last He, the last one, will stand upon the earth, and after my skin, even this body, has been destroyed, then from my flesh or without it, I shall see God, whom I, even I, shall see for myself and on my side, and my eyes shall behold him, and not as a stranger. O oh, beloved, that we can say that, my eyes shall behold him, and not as a stranger, because my determined decision was to become more intimately acquainted with him. In Revelation 21, 45, we say and we hear, what will it be like? God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There shall be no more. Neither shall there be anguish, sorrow or mourning, nor grief, nor pain anymore, for the old conditions and the former order of things have passed away. I thought of what they are saying that the old normal is gone. This is the new normal that we are living in in the lockdown. It sounded so as if the enemy was copying something again. But when the Lord comes to take his bride, it really will be a new normal. And normal will be no more tears, no death, no sorrow or mourning, no grief, no pain. The old normal, the old conditions of the former things of earth will really have passed away and the new have come. 
And then he tells us in Revelation 21 verse 5, And he who is seated on the throne said, See, I make all things new. That will be your new normal. And he also said, Record this, for these sayings are faithful, accurate, incorruptible, and trustworthy. It is true and it is genuine. This is your future. We can stand on this. This is our anchor. We're so waiting to see truth revealed. There's so many things and fake news. But Jesus comes and he says, Everything I've told you through this course, my beloved, it is true. It is faithful. It is accurate. You can mark my words. It's uncorruptible, trustworthy, and genuine. In chapters 1 verse 12 and 4 verse 10 we read the believer spreads the fragrance of Christ and the church becomes a corporate garden as well as a mountain of herbs and spices. This mountain that she's talking about on the mountain of spices is a reference to the new city, the new Jerusalem with beautiful gardens and flowers and a glorious abundance of colors and fragrances far beyond our imagination. Jerusalem is also the stone that crushed the image which Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. When the stone crushes the kingdoms of the world and becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. Daniel 2, 34 and 35 As you looked, a stone was cut out with human hands which smote the image on its feet of iron and baked clay of the potter and it broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the baked clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken and crushed together. All the kingdoms of the world, all seven uh, world kingdoms, the seventh one is yet to come, the one of Antichrist. And it became like chaff of summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. And that stone that smote the image became a great mountain or a rock, and it filled the whole earth, the new mountain of spices. This mountain city was familiar to Abraham, Moses, Paul, Peter and many others, though they never saw it on earth. They just mentioned it. The bride is also aware of the city's existence and she believes that she will have a share in it. She's already a city of the heavenly Jerusalem but she also expects to live, work and rule with her bridegroom on earth in the messianic age, the new age, the real new age to come. Philippians 1, 21-23 For me to live is Christ, his life in me and to die is gain the gain of the glory of eternity. If, however, it is to be life in the flesh, and I am to live on here, waiting for the rapture, that means fruitful service for me. So I can say nothing as to my personal preference. I cannot choose. That's what Paul said. But I am hard-pressed between the two. So am I, so am you, beloved. My yearning desire is to depart. To be free of this world, to set forth and to be with Christ, for that is far, far better. Verse 22, however, 
if it is to be life in the flesh still, and I am to live on here, don't know how long, it means fruitful service. So, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And also 2 Peter 3 verse 12 and 13. So while you wait, beloved, and you earnestly long for, and you expect, and you hasten the coming of the day of God, by waiting for it and longing for it, by reason of which the flaming heavens will be dissolved and the material elements of the universe will flare and melt with fire. But we, we look for a new heavens and a new earth according to his promise. Oh, you've seen by now the world is, the word is filled with his promises of what is waiting for us. And in this promise, in this new world in which righteousness and uprightness, freedom from sin and right standing with God is to abide. The bride has already chosen to believe in him, even in this age, where everything is still under a curse and she must believe without seeing, just like Abraham, Moses, Paul, Peter. And this is the essence of Song of Songs. The bride believed and acted on her bridegroom's love for her, even though she never physically saw him. Beloved, you must be lovesick with love for your bridegroom, and you believe him and you act on his word because of his love for you, and yet you've never physically seen him. But this is what gave him access to start a journey with you and if you keep in this state it gives him access to increase your faith day by day by day while we are waiting. The bride's process was so successful that she is now able to encourage others to believe in him whom they have not seen. Jesus' last word on the cross, Tetelestai, is translated in Greek. But Jesus spoke Aramaic, which is an offspring of the Hebrew language. And in that language, Aramaic, the word is kala, which is set on the cross. And kala has two meanings. One, it is finished. That's what he cried out. Kala. Tetelestai. The other meaning for kala is my bride. It is as if Jesus was crying out, It is done. Give me my bride. Beloved, see Jesus, your bridegroom, standing before you tonight. His hand is stretched out towards you. He's saying, I have paid the full price for you, my bride. Come. Will you dance with me? And the bride replies, Oh Jesus, oh yes, I will dance with you. I apologize that we are over the time, but we have to finish tonight. We will now um, do a bridal love impartation, the impartation of bridal authority. Take your oil. Anoint yourself, anoint each other, and then Dion will read the bridal authority and expect an impartation of bridal love 
and bridal authority. Are you ready? Have you anointed yourselves? Here comes the impartation. Bridal authority. Beloved, how I rejoice in seeing you mature and develop into the bride of Christ. How I rejoice as you prepare yourself in beauty and in splendor to be my bride. See yourself as I see you, for I am King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Will not my bride be majestic also? It is in this bridal relationship with me that you will inherit all that is mine, where you will walk in my authority and in my name. How I long for you to lay your head upon my chest, that you may not only hear my words, but that you may know my heart as well. That you may know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep my love is. For it is this love that will set you free. It is this love that will deliver, heal, and restore the nations. It is this love that will transform all things. Come to me, my bride, and inherit what is yours. Take up my name and my authority, for it is yours. I have already paid the price. The Father has given you to me, and I give you all that is mine. It is yours. Walk in it. <laughs> 